Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And today we're talking about Heroes Hour, indie game developed by Benjamin Hauer, who goes by Thing on Its Own, released on Itch in 2021. Uh, and Josh, you brought this to my attention because anytime there's a Heroes like, I basically <laughs> hear it like a dog whistle and can't stop myself from playing it. I did not even know that Heroes Like was a genre, but I'm very pleased to find out that that's the case. Um, No, my older brother, Nathaniel, he brought this game to my attention. Um, I guess this game has done very well for itself this year. It's actually been the top-selling game on Itch for the past something like six months now. Like, the game has definitely been discovered this year, and now, you know... Itch is a small pond compared to the ocean that is steam, but even still, that's uh, kudos to that uh, for, you know, doing such a good showing on Itch. Amen. And it sounds to me like we're not the only ones that have an itch for some more heroes. Da, da, da. Um, <laughs> Puns all night, guys. Puns. Yes, I'm here all week. Um, but yeah, so this game was developed by Benjamin Hauer, as I was saying, who goes by a thing on its own. Uh, he's a Danish developer. And uh, <laughs> he, honestly, like, I am so glad to see that people are starting to, like, take the heroes of Might and Magic Baton and run with it. Uh, this game clearly pulls from a bunch of them, most prominently for my viewing Heroes 3, although there's a smattering of other heroes, even the newer ones in this as well. I'd be interested in hearing your take on those because I'm mostly like a Heroes 3 diehard. I've played some of Heroes 2 before, uh, but not nearly as much as I have um, compared to the hours I've poured into 3. Yeah, no, it, it definitely, I would say, pulls more from 3 onward, honestly. Like, there's elements of 4, 5, and 6 in here that I can see as well. Um, and all in all, like, I think it elegantly... Uh, sort of backports them into like a pixelated version of Heroes 3. Um, better probably than uh, <laughs> than was done by Ubisoft with those games uh, at the time of their development, ironically. But maybe we should just set this up for those. Uh, I doubt there's going to be too many people listening to this that are uninitiated with Heroes 3, but we can at least sort of set the stage, right? Absolutely. Listen to our previous podcast or <laughs> listen to the uh, five second summary here by Brian. <laughs> yeah, so Heroes of Might and Magic, um, basically it is a uh, turn-based strategy game where you are doing sort of three different levels of strategy. You are doing the overworld management of a town and marching armies across an overworld map. You are doing, or, well, I guess that's two levels, right? You're doing the overworld management of, of moving your army across a map. You're doing the management of a town and castle, building up your economy, and you're doing, uh, at certain points, turn-based battles on a tactical grid, although this game subverts that particular element uh, in an interesting way, which we'll get into more in a bit. You can tell that the Heroes 3 battle maps are highly tactical because they use hexagons instead of squares. <laughs> That's right. Hexes are the be- or hexagons are the bestagons. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. There is an entire video about that uh, by CGP Grey on YouTube, which I highly recommend. But, um, Hexes. Uh, hex grid battles are not present in this game, so we will cease talking about them. Um, no, but... this game certainly, <laughs> you know, I don't have the later day heroes experience than you do, but this game very strongly to me was 
imitating Heroes 3, at least at the outset. Um, it has your factions, your heroes, your minds, your magic, your might, your battle system, the ba- real-time versus turn-based, but a lot of the factions have similar themes, same creatures, um, even the mouse icon for moving around the overworld map is a little horse, and when you can go to a mine or a town and capture it, the horse rears up. I mean, the, the boat in this game is the same cost as it is in Heroes 3. A thousand gold and five wood. And I've played <laughs> enough Heroes 3 that that's like burned into my brain. So when I first <laughs> saw that it was the same cost, I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, this is this is Heroes 3. I'm all over it. Uh, but then as you play more of it, you start to notice the differences, uh, the improvements they made, where they uh, changed up the formula a little bit, most notably in the battle system. But... It made it an interesting game to discover because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to just make a quick note about some of the things they pulled in from the later Heroes entries as well. Um, I'm sure you noticed that your units do have upgrade paths. Each unit, as it did in Heroes that you're building in your town, have the ability to be upgraded. However, they include the ability to upgrade them along two different pathways in, in some situations. You can choose either to get one unit for your level four unit or another in, in some cases, and that varies by faction. And that was actually something that's borrowed from some of the later heroes entries mm-hmm. all right i see that although you are choosing different units it's not it's not like upgrade the marksman into a bowsman or a crossbowsman it's choose the wolf guy or choose the uh, i don't know the uh, bird guy yeah do you want the minotaur or the beholder or something like that was yeah. Lament your favorite faction? I gotta know. It probably was. <laughs> uh, it was the one that I think I played the most of, just because of my <laughs> affinity for, for Dungeon in uh, Heroes of Might and Magic 3. Mm-hmm. But um, honestly, I thought their, they, their faction choice was really nice on here. There were callbacks to almost all of the factions throughout the Heroes history, as well as a few new factions that, you know, I don't think there's ever been an analog to the Tide in this game, which I thought was really neat. What about um, the Earthen? That was the other one where I'm like, oh, I don't know what these guys are going to be like. The dwarf people. Oh, yeah. So that's actually a call forward to like Heroes 6 uh, mm. or 5 and 6, I think. They had like a dwarven faction. Mm. So, yeah, that that was actually um, pulling from a different part of the Heroes canon. I did like how there was basically an analog to the sorceress faction from Heroes 2, which was my favorite faction in that game. Mm-hmm. Ah, very nice. Yeah, I think. Um, did you have a favorite faction? In this game, it, I think it would have to have been Lament. I really enjoyed the um, the dragon aspect of that faction, and I can't I can't argue with dragons, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got you. I, I never did too much with the dragon. Well, it'll be interesting to talk about that. We'll get to that later on. Yeah. But the biggest difference, you know, the factions are seventy percent inspired by heroes kind of stuff. Um, but the battle system, instead of being mm. a tight turn-based tactical brawl, it is just a melee. It is a real-time strategy thing. You start and your little armies, all the dudes are like, let's go kill some dudes over here. And they all move forward without any orders. They start attacking. Um, it's much more chaotic than the turn-based is. 
Yeah, so interestingly, I've seen this type of battle a lot more lately. Uh, basically, you're you're doing placement, and then you're man, you're acting as sort of more of a coach or a director rather than a direct general issuing orders that are automatically obeyed by your troops. You know, it's more suggestions than um, edicts or demands, mm-hmm. and. I'm, I, I kind of like this. Like, it, it leaves a little more randomness in the system, but it also, like, things can work out in ways that you're not quite expecting. So I like the idea of placing enemies on a map and, like, all right, so if I have my cavalry up here and my infantry over here, I'll be able to draw in the enemy infantry and then flank them with the cavalry as they rush down from the north or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you're given additional tactical options, like offensive and defensive mode and more importantly spells oh the spells the spells were so much fun in this game Mm -hmm. i think this uh, game does spells better than heroes honestly yeah i agree with that um the chaotic battle system kind of reminded me of another game called totally accurate battle stimulator um not a game i've put a ton of time into but it's just kind of like these gigantic melees and everything is this kind of humorous ragdoll effect sort of thing. Like, oh, a catapult fires and everything goes flying. That's what the mm. spells in this game kind of reminded <laughs> me of. Um, you throw a meteor down and all the gargoyles go flying across the screen then. Yeah, I'm actually going to call out a game that I've been playing on iOS, although it's also on Android, called Bot World Adventure by a uh, Australian indie dev. And it does a similar thing where you're basically placing three different robots in an arena with three of your enemy's robots, and they just kind of go at it. And you can do, like, abilities or spells from the sidelines, but they're really just acting autonomously. And that's very much how this game works as well. I think this is sort of like in in the game development zeitgeist right now is automated battles that you have somewhat minimal influence on. And hmm. I'm, I kind of like it. It's interesting. Yeah, interesting tactic. I mean, um, thinking more back to like Majesty is what that reminds me of. But that was an amazing game. I wonder if maybe that's a uh, unexploited mine, an unexploited vein of game design to come back to one day. Maybe we'll see that in 2022. I mean, maybe. I, it, it does strike me that this uh, this game has sort of like a, a mashup element to it, like it's heroes mashed up with majesty or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm digging it. And it definitely is nice to see people start to iterate on the heroes formula because it seems like that franchise has been locked up with Ubisoft since too long. And uh, we haven't really seen much too much innovation on that front there's a lot of defenders for the newer games but i'm i'm not really one of them i feel like they <laughs> lost a lot of character and and soul after after three but um i did still pick them up and play them and i got i got some enjoyment out of it so you know that is what it is all in all i think this game like d made and yet innovated in such a way that i i really enjoyed seeing what it had to bring to bear it did feel a little bit like a d make with the graphics which are it's all pixel graphics, and right. um, not like the pixel graphics of Heroes 3. Or 2. Or 2. Uh, it's been so long since I played 2, I don't remember what it looks like. Uh, more detailed, chunkier, um, but more detailed. This is very much like a, a pixel art aesthetic. Pixel. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I gotcha. 
But, you know, those spells you have in the battle system, they can be extremely powerful. Um, one of my favorite moments in the game, uh, or some of my favorite moments, have been d- during the ship-to-ship combat over the ocean waters. Uh, two things I really loved doing that. The first was casting meteors onto the opponent's boat and sending all of their... Um, sending all of their army critters flying into the water and the ones that couldn't sink or couldn't swim which is most of them they all drown instantly so it felt like (laughs) a bowling alley almost the other one was um when you're getting attacked by the quick creatures that can swim there's a spell called transform that transforms a creature or a whole swath of them into some uh, random, less effective creatures, which most of them can't swim. So you could take out like a hundred of these little salamander guys at once by just turning them into like little hobbit people or whatever. And well, hobbits don't swim very well. <laughs> no, it's very true. And I love how the battlefield in this game, because of the lo-fi aesthetic, was able to more accurately mimic the overworld surroundings. Um, one thing about Benjamin Hauer, the developer of this game, um, he mentions that he is a proc gen specialist. So all of the maps in this game are proc gen, all the battlefields are proc gen, and it's very clear that he's using the data elements from one of those things to feed into the other. So if you see like a chest or a tree on the overworld and you get into a battle in that vicinity, it will propagate itself down into the battlefield directly. And the mm-hmm. same thing goes with the boats. If you're passing an enemy from the north, then your boat will appear and attack from the north, passing in the direction that you were moving. And no. so the the boats are sort of passing in that way in a very interesting manner. And you can always sort of see how it maps on to like the real actual thing that's happening in the overworld map. Oh, that's fun. It makes it feel like it's more taking place there as opposed to just random battle systems that happens from like rpgs or whatnot yeah right yeah it it like directly attaches what's happening in the overworld to what's happening on the battle screen whereas in heroes those were entirely separate and um, different phases Mm -hmm. or yeah and in heroes of my magic that is um we're gonna have to differentiate between heroes and heroes hour from here on out it seems (laughs) now heroes is always heroes of might and magic three yeah this could be h hour i like that (laughs) hours (laughs) hours Howers, as in Benjamin Hower, the developer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, multilingual puns. I like it. Yeah, the ship-to-ship combat, I think, was one of the coolest things that was added. One of the more transcendent things about the, the battle system in this game. Although I did really like what they did by limiting the amount of uh, creatures you could bring into a given battle by your general's um, sort of troop power. Basically, they only allow you to bring in a certain number overall of troops. So if you have 500 dragons, that doesn't matter. Um, You can only bring in maybe 12 of them uh, based on the battle power of your your general. 12 of them at once. Um, If they all die, you get... 12 more dragons, 12 more dragons until you <laughs> burn through your 500 dragons. Right. Man, you, so y- you, I feel like you've been playing a different game than me. Did you get 500 dragons? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just using that as an example. But um, I think it is interesting because it puts the 
um, troops on a much more even footing regardless of the overall power of the squad you're bringing. Um, at, I, I think this works because it keeps the battles high stakes, whereas in Heroes of Might and Magic 3, per se, like if you come across a hero that is good, but you're way outclassing, they pose basically no danger. Whereas in this game, if you come across like a, a mid-major hero, so to speak, you are going to need to still bring your A-game with your, your tactics in order to escape relatively unscathed. Yeah, generally speaking, the ba- battles will start off even um, because everybody can only put in so many creatures at once. The reinforcements come and they'll help you win if you need those reserves, but um, it's not something you can necessarily steamroll through quite so easily as Heroes of Might and Magic. Although I did find myself steamrolling after a little while just because the might of my hero so outclassed like neutral mobs per se. I think there's still an element of if you get a high enough level hero, you're going to start wrecking shop. Oh, uh, absolutely. And a big ish thing that you get are the skills system for the heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this game did skills in a, in a very interesting way compared to classic Heroes of Might and Magic. Um, basically, instead of having a relatively good idea of what you're going to be getting and what you want to spec your hero for based on your faction, they... Uh, randomized the skill trees much more heavily than you would have seen in, in Heroes of Might and Magic. And what this did for me was it kept me from obsessing over min-maxing my hero. Uh, heroes took on a much more sort of haphazard light for me. And maybe that's just because I'm less familiar with this game's skill systems and the skills available per faction, but I enjoyed this aspect quite a bit. It, it kept me, uh, It kept my sort of nose out of the details too much. One really interesting design choice is that a lot of other games, uh, you had a skill tree in this. You know, you have your two base skills, and then you have your four skills you can get off of that, and it all kind of, like, runs together after a while. Um, But this game, a lot of other games might have had, like, you have your lower-level skills, which will be weaker ones, and at the end of the tree, you'll get your higher-level skills, the really powerful ones. Um, And this game... A skill could show up at any level. It could be a starting skill. It could be one you have to get, you know, it has three or four prerequisites to get. So it made it very interesting to play. And it meant that all the skills were like balanced against each other instead of being different tiers of skills you were looking at. Yeah. And one of my favorite skills uh, for the faction that I chose, the Lament, um, was the Dragon uh, taming. I can't remember exactly the name of it, but it was the skill that basically granted you a dragon every so often based on, on your combat um, conquests. Dragon and, blood. Dragon blood, thank you. And I really enjoyed this skill because, uh, like you said, if you got it early, it could be really effective in getting you an extremely powerful unit well ahead of when you were supposed to have it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that tended to happen a lot with the Lament because that was like their specialty was dragons. Mm-hmm. So I... Uh, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it because it, it did sort of randomize the amount or the, the number of things you could do with any given hero, uh, as opposed to Heroes of Might and Magic 3, where if they have a specialty, you're buying them for that specialty. This hero's specialty is estates. He's going to sit in my castle and make me money. <laughs> uh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was an estates skill here, but it was um, one of many and it was never like, I specialize in accounting, please hire me. Which right. you always it, would, because you need that money. 
and I'm sure like, you know, there's high level play for this game already. I, I'm, I joined the discord for it and there's definitely people that are very skilled at it already sort of looking at the min max aspects of the randomizations that are occurring in hero skills. I'm sure of it. Um, just a, a blanket statement here for both me and Josh, I'm assuming we are not those people. <laughs> we're, we're not doing high level play this game. So please dismiss that from your mind. Um, but, um, to that end, I do think that it, it both serves up interesting choices for players in terms of where they're going to spend their skill allocations, but also keeps the details or keeps that like level of need for min-maxing out of the equation for people like me who just want to have a fun game of heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, like anything, you can get super competitive at this game and very skilled and know what the uh, drop is tables are for the skills so to speak when you're saying i'm going to hire a um order hero hero or i'm going to hire a wilds hero but that requires a much deeper level of knowledge than me or brian have yeah or it requires playing the game for longer right like we were talking about heroes of might and magic 3 on the podcast we did about that and we're like yeah we could we could probably be high level heroes 3 players if we had the time and <laughs> you know the the obvious uh, rebuttal to that is no you couldn't stop being an idiot but um the other side of that coin is given an amount of time that you have playing a game you know decades for us but when it comes to heroes 3 like you're going to learn the play space and um, knowledge, as always, reduces space. Puts in boundaries, yeah. Yeah, you'll you'll learn the game space better. And with this game, it still seems pretty wide to me because there's so much randomization and so many skills in this already um, pretty full-fleshed indie game. Like, it, it's really impressing me with how much content there already is on offer. Mm-hmm. I know this game is going to be released on Steam, and hey, people with itch... Ver- the itch version will get keys for that is what i've heard hooray yeah. for us but I- i'm trying to like <laughs> this game seems so full already like what does it need for the steam version i i have no idea i'm you know i'm sure benjamin has a better idea of that than than we do but um you know for for my money it's ready to release right now um mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, this is definitely a full-fledged, like, product. I wouldn't consider this, like, early access in by any means. Like No, no. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I'm happy that I may get a Steam key as a result of my early itch patronization, but I'd be perfectly happy not getting that as well if that changes directions because I'm happy to, you know, put my money where my mouth is and support people developing these types of games because I like them. Yeah, I'll probably buy this twice. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. And, you know, obviously indie devs need all the support they can get. So uh, kick ass, Ben. One of the great things about this game, I think, um, that I really like compared to your standard Heroes 3, is that the factions play differently in a significant way mechanically, uh, as compared to Heroes where maybe Necromancer plays a little differently because of the skeleton thing, but everybody else follows the same basic strategy, and it's just the strategy within the battle 
feel the changes. Um, but one of the things that makes those factions different is that each of their heroes will have a starting skill that is faction-specific. Um, and this can make things very interesting. Like, um, the one thing I remember is that I think it's the Enclave, the fortress-like one, like the swamp uh, town. Their heroes start with a skill that lets them track down in um, otherwise invisible beast armies on the overworld map. And if they defeat these beast armies after tracking them down, they get some extra magic items or they get a stronger army or something like that. And it's like a so much more flavor than anything you find inside the Heroes of Might and Magic 3 world. Yeah, it strikes me that this is basically the developer's um, way to try and balance out what was going on with necromancers in Heroes of Might and Magic 3, right? Like everybody who knows anything about Heroes of Might and Magic 3 or the competitive scene of the same knows that that's the most powerful faction, the one that everyone uses unless it's banned. Um, and it's because they have that entirely like ancillary mechanic that no one else on the battlefield has, the generation of skeletons. And this to me was a way of like adding that for every other faction. Like what do we give this faction that can be comparable to that in terms of making it more interesting, um, adding a bonus. And I think, uh, it did a really good job of not only adding that flavor, like you mentioned, but also like tipping the scales back in the right direction in terms of the power curve. Yeah, make things interesting. You know, don't don't nerf necromancers. Buff everyone else, right? Absolutely. No one likes a nerf. <laughs> you and me can't look at the faction skills and say, "Oh, this one's OP and this one is underpowered." I mean, we don't haven't played enough of this game to say that, but there's uh there's a lot to dig into here and try to figure out what's OP and what's not. Right. And, and as we're writing or, you know, recording this in the fall of 2021, um, a recent poll was released with what, uh, basically, what is the most powerful faction? Rate them one to 10. And they all came out between six and eight, I believe, in terms of like, uh, who was the most powerful on average uh, across a poll of, you know, several hundred players in the discord of this game, presumably players who have more intimate knowledge of the game than you or I. So it strikes me that at least initially the balance here has been struck pretty well. Um, but, you know, time will tell and things may change. Uh, right now, I guess, it, it to me, that isn't even a concern, right? Like, I'm not in this game for the competitive aspect. I'm in it for the hero's for the enjoyment <laughs> and, and seeing the content. And, you know, right now, nothing is striking me as grossly out, un, unbalanced. I'm wondering if you had a favorite faction-specific skill... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I really enjoyed Dragon Blood from the the Lament. I'm gonna keep drawing on the Lament because, like I said, that's where I spend most of my time with this game. But that the Beast one that you mentioned was also very interesting, just because it sort of added an entire extra game mechanic. How about mm -hmm. yourself? Uh, I like the Beast one for flavor, but the Inferno Town uh, Pyre—they're mm. called. Yeah, they had a really cool skill called Fire Warping, and if you you were a magic-based hero, what this lets you do was select an area of the enemy's army, and that you select the area you want that uh, army to warp towards, and they arrive there with a big explosion that does a bunch of damage. But that was like I think the most powerful skill in the game because you can control the <laughs> battlefield so much oh the uh 
the you're facing down like a 40 horse charge well you know time your gate right right in warp them to the other side and just launch more spells and ranged attacks at them yeah absolutely now that, that that is a fun one i only played with pyre once so i didn't get to experience that one a ton but from what i remember it was it was quite fun um fun i think is the watchword for these skills it's just it adds that extra layer on top of the heroes three or the heroes of Might and magic in general gameplay that you're used to yeah and i think like even like the spells play into that so much like the ability to like turn the tide instantly and see the ramifications of your actions that the spells give you is really powerful like that that gating a mechanism you talked about is basically like casting a spell right mm-hmm. um and it, it allows you to like do a click and instantly see how that affects how the battle's tide is turning and that to me is like way more interesting than how heroes of might and magic did the same thing like one click in heroes like yes you could do a ton of damage to one unit but you don't necessarily see the ripple effects immediately unless you're like casting armageddon in heroes three or something <laughs> like that <laughs> yeah it's um it's the ragdoll factor you see the exaggerated physics of the meteor landing and everything blows up and blows out yeah yeah it's it's really fun sort of like very basic physics it's you know what it's like it's like the sand game combined with heroes (laughs) (laughs) i feel that is an underexplored genre right here sand game yeah sand game cross heroes for sure So this game has the faction-specific skills for each of the different heroes uh, that makes the game fun. They also have faction-specific mechanics that you access from the towns, uh, which also makes the different factions play differently from each other, feel differently. Like with the horde mechanic or the horde faction, you can hire a really cheap mercenary army to go out there and, you know, wreck shit up. Um... So there's things like that that allow, or the the Pyre, the Inferno Town, uh, they summon demons from a center center portal to come and help you out. Uh, That kind of like plays along with what the faction's supposed to be. I thought that was another really great innovation from the Heroes formula. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of sort of small tweaks and improvements that um, iterate on the Heroes formula that I think really work for this game. Um, one of the ones that you called out that I want to call attention to is the fact that it doesn't waste a turn to disembark or embark from a boat. <laughs> yes. My goodness. I didn't realize what I'd been missing out on until this happened. Yeah. I mean, certainly an interesting tactical choice in the classic heroes games, but also in inevitably increasing or incredibly frustrating one as your character with incredibly good logistics and navigation skills would nonetheless need to waste an entire turn if they pulled up just short of shore just to disembark on a boat um yeah it it never ceased to be maddening and little things like that really helped this game out in my opinion so i can tell this really got to brian because he played one too many games as gunther master of logistics (laughs) for the dungeon faction and he would have to go on a boat and he'd be screaming motherfucker at it (laughs) <laughs> yeah pretty much uh there there were other nice touches too and i think the maybe 
uh, one that uh, I think we need to talk a little bit about is the infirmary system in this game, hmm. which I think is a pretty elegant solution to what I always perceived as the I've gotten too far in this game and now I'm screwed but didn't know it factor. Um, if you lost enough troops early on in a Heroes game, or even in the middle of a game in a Heroes game, you would probably fuck yourself at some point if if you were on a hard enough difficulty, because you just couldn't make up the difference between yourself and your enemies despite how well you played. And the infirmary system in this game basically allows you to take any losses from battle and over time recoup a percentage of them. And what this did was it evened out sort of a power curve between you and your enemies, even if you lose like a pretty major army. Yeah. Like, um, I think that's a design flaw with the whole heroes genre in general is that your strength is based on the size of your army, which is based on two things. How, much you've grown it over the weeks like um if you have a week four army that's going to be twice the size of a week two army if you don't build any more buildings you might get some more creature generators it'll be even more powerful but then if you go out you fight neutral mobs you lose creatures that's like a permanent lowering of your army's effectiveness I thought, yeah, the infirmary system was a good way to help out with that. But I don't think it necessarily, like, solved the problem either. Like, it was still an issue when you were trying to explore. And this game has procedurally generated side paths. It has all these sorts of nooks and crannies to go down there that you want to go down. But it's still, even with that infirmary system, I don't think it overcame the issue of... You do a fight, especially in a chaotic battle system like this. This isn't tight turn-based tactics of Heroes 3. You're going to lose people. Yep. You're going to lose them. Your army's going to be less effective. You have to spend more resources to bring it back up to effectiveness. I don't think this game cracked that particular problem. I agree uh, for the most part. I mean, that is kind of like an inbaked flaw of the genre, to my point. But it's also like a intended consequence for losses in battle, right? Like army logistics are a real thing. You need to make sure your supply lines are intact. But I think they also mitigated that a little bit in this game by making pretty much every faction get town portal. And they made it <laughs> you, you just couldn't do it very often, right? Like I did not play a game that I did not get town portal in. And you can only cast it once a week. So I think that was a pretty elegant solution to that combined with the infirmary system was an elegant solution to like, how do we make losing troops meaningful while not permanently screwing the player? Maybe if it was like all of your troops or a higher percentage of your troops would come back to the infirmary. I could cede more ground there, but I still feel like you'd lose too many of them overall. Hmm. My personal conspiracy theory on this. Are you ready? Hmm. I think sure. the order faction-specific mechanic was better healing at the hospital. And in huh. order to preserve that particular faction mechanic, the rest of the healing got nerfed a little bit. Uh, like you said, never nerf, just buff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting theory. Uh, we'd have to ask... Uh, the, de the dev himself, Benjamin Howard, to, to know for sure. But um, 
like I said, I think I, overall the fact that this mechanic never existed in the mainline Heroes franchise at all, like huge tell for me. Like it's a great idea. I'm glad it exists in this game. Um, I'm excited to see it iterated on. One thing you mentioned that I want to shout out as a great design decision was making Town Portal so easily accessible, not dependent on your current mana, just dependent on when's the last time you used it, and also not usable for a just conquered town. So you can't like take over a place and just warp all your heroes to it. Um, but it did make it so much easier. Like there's so many of these little design decisions where I take a look at Heroes Hour, and then I take a look at Heroes 3, and I say, why didn't you do this? It's so obvious in retrospect. <laughs> I mean, it's been, you know, a decade and a half at this point, so, you know. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but we <laughs> yeah. have learned much in the meantime. We have, and I'm, I'm glad for it, and I'm glad that there's finally developers starting to take advantage of that, right? Like, there, there's a lot of learning here, I can tell, from, like, the, the Heroes mod scene, the Heroes, um, you know, the later Heroes games, the mod scene, all, all of that stuff. And the fact that we're finally getting, like, indie games that are trying to take on the challenge of, like, bringing this genre of game, like, into the, the, the present is great. I just want to, I want to see more. I want to see more and more and more. <laughs> agreed. Very much agreed. Uh, one final, very tiny design decision that I enjoyed is the, <laughs> the way that they did the naming of of the factions and how it will say like uh we have the uh azure lament uh azure laments turn instead of just like it's blue's turn uh mm -hmm. azure lament sounds infinitely more interesting than blue <laughs> yeah or the verdant wild crimson right. pyre uh yes yes uh I, the only problem with that is you get the crimson tide uh in some specific uh, configurations and as a, a Buckeye I'm honor bound to renounce the Crimson Tide in all of its forms <laughs> you know I played a game as a Crimson Tide and made sure to rub it in your face that they won the whole thing <laughs> um, but during that game I noticed first that this game is much more focused on oceans and seas mm. than Heroes of Might and Magic 3 is like yeah there's that stupid thing where your boats cost you an entire turn to embark or disembark but really it never used water to the same extent that this game does i don't think i've played a game where water hasn't been a factor yeah and i think the reason for that is the proc gen of the game like most of these games rely on the proc gen having not a full continent for a map but rather a series of islands continents or um an archipelago or something along those lines like the the proc gen i feel may have necessitated an increased presence of water on the map just to make sure that there were boundaries uh that made sense you know no i i know what you're getting at like the proc gen on this game is it's really fun you know it'll create um, your like the the maps that you select, they aren't 
pre-made sort of things, you're selecting a configuration of proc generation. Like, we're going to do a wheel and spoke here, or we're going to do islands where nobody's connected to anything, or you choose things like that, it all gets proc yeah. gen You're connected um, to two of your neighbors, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's that type of thing. Basically, you get to see it in terms of, like, a mind map, I guess? A graph. A graph. If we're yeah, going mathematical. Graph. Sure. Um, okay, Mr. Mathematician. Eh. <laughs> no, but um, you get to s- things are designed in terms of that, and it works really well at designing, like, here are some good side branches. We have guaranteed access from this, like, portal to this one over here, so we know these things are connected. Um, and they often do use ocean in between, but let's say for another in another universe, Heroes Hour was made without the oceans, but with, like, impassable mountains in between the things the game still works like that it didn't have to be oceans is what i mean yeah i think you're right and i think that would be my one complaint about this game and its proc gen is if i'm thinking back to a time before proc gen um heroes 2 all of the scenarios not all the scenarios but many of the scenarios in that game felt very bespoke compared to what we even got in heroes of might and magic 3 like, you would get custom events on overworlds very frequently. It was clearly designed to be played as a single scenario with a story. And I feel like that sort of portion of the Heroes of Might and Magic legacy has been pretty much lost. Like, there's there's no campaign in this game. I don't know if it's in the design plans for um, Ben and, you know, for, for this game. I can confirm that it is. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that because I feel like the... The hero's campaign is one thing that has languished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I, st- I, st- I still don't think I've played any single scenarios that are as compelling as the ones in Heroes 2, even in Heroes 3. That's fair. That's fair. One last design quibble that I had was um, something I think that Heroes 3 did better than Heroes Hour. It's hmm. not a long list, but... <laughs> I feel that Heroes 3 did better gating than Heroes Hour did. Like, you remember the border guards, you'd have to defeat these monsters to unlock these gateways between you and your opponents there. Like, I felt that allowed you to build up your armies more and kind of be like, this is the point where the developer wants you to start the fight with the enemy they want you to be at least this powerful and that gives you time to explore and go around these different places um i felt with the proc gen over here it was a little too loose with that gating there wasn't anything there you were always very concerned about an opponent taking over your capital and you didn't always have enough viewing radius around uh there was always I felt like there was always fog of war close enough to my capital with those damn oceans who who knows what's <laughs> coming from them yeah. that I couldn't really go off and explore these side passages, which were good side passages, artifacts, monsters, all the things I wanted. But I um, never felt safe leaving my town and not knowing that it wouldn't be sacked by the da- dawn of the next day. That's true, and that might have been a reason why we saw the turn-ending disembark on the original heroes. Um, Mm. But 
now that I'm thinking about it. But um, no, don't justify it. <laughs> don't give in. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. At the, on the other hand, that could be easily remedied by like longer view distance at castles or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's an easy game fix if um, if Benjamin Hour is listening to us. <laughs> I mean, maybe who knows? Um, but you know, it's also at the same time. Uh, he's done such a great job at this game so far. Oh, uh, absolutely! I, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend to know what's best for this product. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, at any rate, uh, with that, uh, let's summarize our thoughts on Heroes Hour, indie heroes extraordinaire, uh, with a quick round of three word reviews. My three-word review is Manic Pixel Heroes. Uh, well, it's happening. All the nerdy kids like me and Josh who grew up playing Heroes of Might and Magic are coming of age, and they're striking out and making their own homages, love letters, and spiritual sequels. Uh, so Heroes Hour keeps a lot of what makes the Heroes of Might and Magic series magical and adds a healthy dose of manic action into the mix with the fully automated real-time crowd battles, which I personally really enjoyed. Uh, I'm happy that Josh stumbled upon this and I had a great time playing with it and have really high hopes for Benjamin Hour and his team and all the teams out there that are going to continue to help satiate my manic need for more heroes action. (laughs) All right, my three-word review for this game is Mighty Fun Homage. As longtime listeners will know, Brian and I are huge fans of Heroes of Might and Magic 3. We've spent many an evening of our adolescence and adulthood taking turns conquering the kingdoms of Arathia. I will stand for that game day and night. What I didn't know was that some Danish game dev was hard at work delivering a modern take on the classic. My first thought when I was playing this was, this is exactly like Heroes 3 and that's awesome. As my playthroughs continued, I noticed tons of design improvements from the original. Things I never considered as needed improving in the first place. Heroes Hour is a wonderful and entirely unexpected remake of a classic strategy game. Two thumbs up. Amen. And, and like I like I said in my three word, and it sounds like you agree with like more of this. Like right, let's get <laughs> let's get all the favorites from uh, our childhoods. So That's to, right. You know, iterated on, take the best, leave the the worst behind, and. Uh, you know, keep making things better. You know, we've um, recently kind of done a playthrough through Halo. That'll be an upcoming cast as well. And it got me thinking about the way game design has evolved and kind of like the paths it didn't choose. Yeah. And this game kind of really reminds me of like, this was very fertile ground that never really got explored to the extent it deserved. So, Kudos to Heroes Hour for daring to go into that uh, game design territory. Absolutely, um, uh, we we need more more uh, fearless pioneers in this, uh, like like Benjamin, uh, to to go and and take advantage of the love of these uh, older and you know fan favorite franchises. But with that, we want to say uh, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. 
And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. Take care and keep on gaming.